from Anchor FM, this is Etch the Edges, where we climb the steep cliffs of the divide, the issues that separate us from the right and the left, and we do the hard work of closing that divide. Find the common ground we know we all share. Hi, I'm B.S. Brown, your host, and together we will etch the edges. America has often been at the crossroads, and yet here we are again. What do we do? And how do we do it? Together, let's get into it. Our purpose? To do the work. To truly peel away at the extremes, for it's the extremes, the extremes that divide us. The tail is wagging the dog. Small groups of people with outsized voices are commanding the stage, and the rest of us? Well, the rest of us suffer for it. It's time for all that to change. Let's lean into discomfort. Let's have the hard conversations, and together, let's etch the edges. Welcome back to Etch the Edges. It's 2022, and we're back on the rise. And today, we have a special guest who is putting his uh, hat in the ring, so to speak to mm-hmm. make our communities better. We've got JT Wu running for State House District 97 here in the great state of Georgia, which arguably I think we can say is going to be the most pivotal state in this union in 2022. And I don't say that because I'm a Georgia boy. I say it <laughs> because I think it is. What say you, JT? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Thanks for having me, DS. And uh, yeah, I, I do think that you're right. This is going to be the center of the political universe uh, here, especially over the next couple of months. Absolutely. You, you, you hear that? Center of the political universe. That's just how real it is, folks. So we're going to do what we do, right? We just do uh, normal conversations here on Edge the Edge. This is all about closing the ideological divide, having conversations between a regular guy, myself, and someone who steps up from what we call the regular and mundane. And I'm going to tell you, when J.D. Run da- runs down his pedigree, you're going to find he's far from normal. I think oh, he's outstanding. And, you know, that. bear in mind, folks, bear in mind, that's that's not an admission of a vote, right? Even though J.T. is like, look, dude, give me your vote. That's the way he's supposed <laughs> to do it. The way I tell you guys to do it right is always read the platform. J.T.'s got a site. Listen to the information the candidate provides. J.T. does that rather well. And then figure out for yourself who earns your vote. What's Mm -hmm. best for you as an individual? What's best for your family? What's best for your community, your state, and your nation? Most of us, unfortunately, don't tend to do that because we think reading is not fundamental. But as I've said before, it is. You have to understand who you're voting for and why. That's the critical exercise. Now I'm going to get off my box and give our guest (laughs) time he deserves to tell us who he is and why he's doing what he's doing jt you've got the mic buddy well thank you my friend well first of all you look pretty good on that box so i think you should uh you know definitely definitely be using that more but thanks so much for having me it's it's great to be here this morning with y'all and 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 talking to, to all of our listeners i guess um you know like ds said my name's jt really excited to be here and I'll give you the quick and dirty spiel because I want to I want to get back to the conversation, you know, but to DS's point, I think you've been hyping me up a lot. So I'm going to try to live up to that. But um, again, let's let the let's let the listeners decide. So, look, my name is JT. I'm a lifelong Georgian. I'm a native Guinetian from Gwinnett County, which is, I guess, what we love to call ourselves. Um, and I grew up in Duluth. Uh, I live in Norcross. Those are two of the cities in my district. 
Um, if you're if you're familiar with the area, I'm about five minutes across Petrie Industrial Boulevard from like the tech park. So right in those townhomes by the racetrack. Um, and the District 97 also includes uh, two more cities of Berkeley Lake uh, and Peachtree Corners. And, you know, I could not be more excited uh, and honored to, to be here even, you know, talking with you today. Because like folks have said, you know, I'm running for the Democratic nomination to succeed uh, Representative Beth Moore in the Georgia State House here. So she is now running for the state Senate. They've redrawn the lines. So District 97 is an open seat. And so, you know, like I said, I'm a proud homegrown hometown guy uh, and I'm running for one simple reason. You know, that's to defend the promise of the American dream for every Georgian. And, you know, that sounds like, oh, my gosh, that's so big. Like, why, why would you choose such a big, broad talking point? Well, let me get into it. So, you know, that's personal to me because I've lived it. You know, I think my entire life story is a testament to the power of education, the promise of opportunity, the strength of community and really the hope of the American ideal. Because, you know, I'm a first generation American myself. I'm the son of Asian American immigrants. My dad's Malaysian Chinese. My mom's Filipino Chinese. And they came to this country in the 1980s. Uh, they met at Ole Miss, funny enough, so they, they really do love the South. But, uh, you know, they chose to put down roots in Gwinnett County and make this their home in Georgia. And so, you know, they came here because like like many immigrant parents, they were looking for a better a better life and better opportunities for their next generation. And they sacrificed daily because they believe that a strong education, you know, was that foundation for the brighter future for the next generation. And so, you know, thanks to them and to the generous supports of our Gwinnett community, I was able to go from kindergarten at Gwinnett County Public Schools over at Chattahoochee Elementary in Duluth uh, to graduating on scholarship from Princeton University, where I got my start in public service working with the State Department on you know, global economic policy and international human rights. You know, since then, I've held executive roles kind of across the private sector and the nonprofit world. And I came back to Gwinnett, actually, to spend my career fighting for education and healthcare right here at home. It was a deliberate choice because I feel like I'm living proof of my parents' American dream, you know, and I'm passionate about really giving back to this community that made me who I am today. And so, you know, let's take it a couple of forms, uh, you know, in the face of a, of a rising childhood illiteracy crisis in our state, I partnered with teachers and parents and local leaders here in, in town to form a solution. So I founded an early childhood literacy nonprofit uh, in Gwinnett County called Preface, uh, that's now been embraced by the Georgia Department of Education, Gwinnett County Public Schools, uh, and is helping to teach kids of all backgrounds and languages how to read, while also empowering our local high schoolers you know, to be the leaders of tomorrow. Uh, in the middle of this pandemic, I've worked with doctors and, and responsible business owners to expand healthcare access and treatment options for folks uh, who need it most, you know, from folks in chronic pain to, to folks suffering from opiate and substance use disorders, trying to get life-saving treatments into their hands. Because at the end of the day, I think, as probably many of us do, that addiction should be treated like the disease that it is and not as some sort of moral failing, you know, and, and especially as a kid, you know, someone who grew up here in, in Gwinnett, uh, who, who was growing up running around the stacks of the old Duluth Library branch here in the district. I've been proud to serve on the Gwinnett County Library Board of Commission, uh, sorry, Board of Trustees, uh, which is appointed by the Board of Commissioners um, and helped to open two brand new library branches right here in the district. So in downtown Duluth and in downtown Norcross and, and actually just last week, was proud to vote unanimously alongside my colleagues uh, to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour for all of our hardworking library staff because you know, we believe in investing in living wages and retaining talent here in Gwinnett uh, and truly making this you know, one of the best places in Georgia uh, to continue to do business and to start a family and, and to raise that family. And so, you know, look, I can go on and on, but at the end of the day, I want to get back to the, to the conversation with you, DS, as far as you know, what some of the issues are that are facing our community and our state. Um, and why I'm excited to you know stand up to to hopefully be be the voice for our community in the Georgia State House. You know, again, I think 
with it being an open seat, it's, it's an awesome time uh, to continue advocating for the things that, that bring us all together as Georgians and as Gwinnett County residents, uh, but also to fight for the future that we want for our next generation. Because at the end of the day, you know, folks often give me a lot of crap. They're like, oh, you know, why do you talk about education and, and libraries and books and stuff so much? Like, gosh, you, you sound, you know, every single time I talk to you, it's literacy, literacy, literacy. And to me, it's because that is at the heart of that American dream, that opportunity, right? I think there's nothing better than, you know, I work in education every day. You look at a kid and you see their face light up when they figure out, hey, yes, I can read a book. You know, I'm meant to be here. Um, this, this learning, this, this experience is for me too. That to me is fundamentally what the American dream is all about. You know, that, that you have a place to belong, that you have a place to thrive. Um, so if we can give that to our next generation and every single policy aspect, it all comes back to what we're leaving for the next generation. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. And, and that's why I'm excited to be running. That is outstanding, JT. And when we talk about the issues, right, I want to go back and even though you've laid out the detail, I want to dig a little deeper, right? Because you said a couple of things that are really critical from my Absolutely. perspective. You yeah. talk about the American ideal. Mm -hmm. And I like how you say that because folks talk about the American idea. They talk about the America that is. And we often just say the American dream, right? Mm -hmm. I know you've said that before. It's on your page. But it's the ideal that we have to strive for because and in, and in striving, you have to face facts. Mm -hmm. Some folks are afraid to say some things. We, we talk about American exceptionalism. But I think, I find, folks who say things like the ideal and speak to the truth of the situation, straight facts, those are the folks that I can lean towards more mm -hmm. readily. Because they understand who we are, where we are, where we come from. And you know, I don't need you to feed me garbage in order to say, look, these are the things we need to do. This is perhaps the greatest experiment in human governance and human history. Mm -hmm. This nation is without a question great, but we can't discount the fact that it was founded and at its root, there's this bit of evil. Amen. It just is, these, these are the facts. But these men, many of whom were slaveholders, they, they wrote a document that aspired to be way far beyond what they could have originally envisioned, even if someone who looks like me wasn't necessarily recognized as a full human being at its inception. Hmm. Times change, things evolve. In that document, I have a copy of it in my library. Yeah. Absolutely. I've read it. I wish <laughs> more Americans would. Right. You know, it is, a, it is an amazing document, even if most of what it states is, it, it's, um, can't find the right word now, but it's, it's, it's more about what you can and shouldn't do and what's bequeathed or divided from as opposed to granting in terms of, uh, you know, the Americans can this, that, and the other as a people when we look at each mm -hmm. amendment, each statute. But still, it's, it's an amazing document. And I weave that into something else you said, the American ideal, mm -hmm. what we aspire to be, JT's parents, Asian descent, immigrants matriculated at Ole Miss. <laughs> exactly. Talk about an American story, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, oh my God. Only in America. Yeah. Only in America, as a man with a big Afro used to say. Only <laughs> in America. That is something you really can look at and just go, wow, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. But when you want to understand how and how these things can take place and why they may take place, it goes back to something that you say folks get tired of you talking about. Don't you ever stop? Reading. Mm -hmm. You got to read. I Absolutely. have an incredible fondness for libraries. It's great. Most <laughs> folks won't go. 
definitely yeah. quick library plug definitely go to the ones here in Gwinnett County at least they are they're not just the dusty old bookshelves of the past right I mean I think that is one thing that we're excited about is that they're these are places of the future these are innovation hubs for our next generation to go to now right learning labs maker spaces 3d printers all sorts of you know creative media spaces and these are community resources right? this is what community investment should look like right completely free public spaces state-of-the-art by, funded by and for our communities. That's that's ultimately what this is. And that's what we're trying to make these libraries. So I couldn't agree more with you there. Those are our tax dollars mm -hmm. at work. Absolutely. So speak. I will proudly say that even though I live in a wonderful home up in Sewanee, I've got a library. Mm -hmm. I've got an office that I'm sitting in right now. Before the pandemic, I would love to just go over to the Sewanee library and grab a, a cubby and, and read. Absolutely. You know, work on a project or two. I've been, I used to go to the old Duluth Library. Unfortunately, I know when you guys open the new one, I haven't made it over there yet, but yep. um, I'm a fan of libraries. I, I will definitely go check it out. So I say all that to say to the listeners, look, you know, um, times do change and folks, I'm, I'm probably showing my age, but, you know, reading, or what it called, riff is a real thing. Reading is fundamental. Oh, yeah. And I admonish you to read. In particular, you can start with the Constitution of the United States of America. Great. Since we know in the midst of the conflict between one ideology and the other, between the left and the right, this document keeps coming up. And quite unfortunately, I would hazard a guess, and I think I'd be 90% right, most of the times <laughs> when folks are arguing about the thing, neither one of them have read it. <laughs> That's unfortunately, I think you're right on that. Right? Yes, right? I, I think you might be right on that. Said. Just say it. Anyway, mm -hmm. so you put a lot of energy, a lot of time into making sure that libraries are core to your tenant. You know, it's 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 part of what you do. Yeah. Just elaborate a little bit more on that, JT. You know, I'm saying why I think it's so important. Right. But, you know, why is it so? Talk about from a political standpoint, as you try and win the hearts and minds of the voters, mm -hmm. why a, a, a librarian reading is so fundamental. Absolutely. Well, and I think I'm glad you gave me this opportunity to talk about it because it really does drill back down, I think, to the, at the heart of, of what does every, you know, I think what what does what ties us all together, right? Like when we are looking at um, the kinds of futures and the lives that we want for our community and for our next generation, what do we want, right? And I think regardless of where we are on the, the political spectrum, I think ultimately every American family, every family in America wants a couple of things, right? They want uh, safety for their family and for their kids. They want their kids to have a good education and, and they want, um, you know, security uh, and the chance to be able to, you know, spend their money on, on stuff and, and enjoy themselves and have a good life, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And I think fundamental to all of those things is making sure that we can leave the next generation even better off than we were. And so I think at, at, at its core, it's about education and it's about making sure that our kids have a chance where it doesn't matter what zip code you were born into, doesn't matter what socioeconomic status you're born into, right? You have a place where you can go and you can get knowledge, whether that's the school or whether that's the library. And that's why I think to me, education is, is fundamentally at the heart of, of every issue that I'm talking about, right? We can talk about how important it is to provide good quality healthcare access for the 600,000 Georgians that don't have quality and affordable healthcare right now through expanding Medicaid. Yes, absolutely. We need to do that. Why is that important? Because we need to give our kids the future that they deserve and the, the, the chance to thrive and grow during this pandemic, right? We can talk about economic policy and how important it is to invest in living wages and to retain talent. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, it's coming back to the family. It's coming back to what we want this next generation to have. Um, and so for me, reading is, is the core component to that, right? If you can't 
read uh, provisionally by the third grade, which unfortunately over half of our kids in our state still struggle to do because, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. One of which is chronic underfunding of our public school system the last set, or, you know, 17 of the last 20 years. Um, but if we can't have our kids reading proficiently by the third grade, studies have shown that that is going to have disproportionate and compounding negative impacts on our kiddos later in life. You know, four times more likely to drop out of high school, 60 times more likely to have you know, some sorts of run-ins with, with the prison system or public assistance. And if you want to talk about it from a fiscal perspective, right, an economic perspective, um, there are studies that show that the life of a high school dropout over the life, $292,000 is spent per high school dropout uh, in kind of public assistance, uh, et cetera. And so I think you can come at it from a number of different ways, right? From the social, this is the right thing to do, the moral investment, but also from a return on investment perspective, if we're talking to our friends in the private sector who, who say, you know, hey, a dollar invested in early literacy and early reading, whether that's in a school program or a library, that's going to have, you know, compounding impacts down the line that's going to make it actually uh, much more beneficial for all of us as a society as we move forward. So, you know, to me, it's just education comes at the heart of all of these issues. And, and I think that's what we're going to be judged on, right? Looking back, what legacy have we left for the next generation? It's going to be, have we set them up for a future of success? Let, let me, and when let we have over half of our kids one. still let, not reading, they can let be Let me jump in on that one, JT. I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you, buddy. No, it, that's good, good. The thought hit me even as you're talking about it, right? First off, as you said, as history unfolds, it will be an unfortunate thing. We've seen the movies. I got a couple of books on, on the thing as we walk our way into a dystopian American future where, unfortunately, because the kids can't read, they're now those too ignorant to understand what was lost way right. back in, in 2020 when mm -hmm. we turned the wrong way instead of the right way. So they can't mm -hmm. even read about how messed up it is and why their lives are so much worse now. That will be a future we will want to avoid. But I want to kind of jump on that piece where you're talking about education is core to building this future where yeah. we know things can be better. And that reading is indeed, again, once again, fundamental. I know mm -hmm. education is core to your mandate. I want you to elaborate a little bit more on the things that you want to do in terms of education. And then I want you to just kind of talk about how in the world can you get it done? Because there's some facts, <laughs> right, around oh, yeah. our state Absolutely. and trying to move certain initiatives. There are a number, a large number of people unfortunately, in our state, who just don't think these things are important. Mm -hmm. And that a lot of the things that we may talk about, and I say we, because I do believe in investment, they mm -hmm. think that's more like putting someone on the dole, right. and you're giving away free money. Mm -hmm. Talk about it. Give us some thoughts around those concepts. And, and then how could you get it done? You know, mm -hmm. we know our education system has been cut. Tell us more about that. Yeah. No, I love I love this question. So you know, today for the first time in, in quite a number of years, I think we have got as a state money to play with when it comes to really being able to talk about what are our priorities for the future and not having to choose, you know, to, it's not necessarily always a zero sum game. Now we got a surplus here in the state. We got a ton of federal revenue coming in, you know, from, from pandemic relief funds and things like that, where, you know, you're seeing it now it's an election year, right? You've seen the budget, they're doling out some of this stuff like it's candy. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that's one of the core missions if not the core mission of the Georgia State House, which is, you know, what are bu our budget and our priorities for our state going forward? Like, what are these policy priorities going to be? And so to your point, we have an opportunity here, I think, to forge a new consensus around education, because I think one of the most exciting things for me operating in the nonprofit space, founding an early childhood literacy nonprofit and bringing folks together from all walks of life to actually help kids go from functionally literate to reading at or above grade level and delivering these results in our community and across Georgia 
has been, you know, the ability to, to bring teachers and parents and students and business owners and folks who might not otherwise think they have all that much in common. But when you talk about, hey, do you want to help your kids? Do you want your community uh, to be stronger? Do you want this next generation to have, to your point, the fundamental life skill of reading? That's something that everybody, you know, ideally in a perfect world should be able to get behind. And that's what we've done in the nonprofit space. And so, you know, I, I think for me, it, it's starting to find and forge that common ground wherever we can at its most basic level, right? I think today you've mentioned it. There's a lot of discord. I think a lot of animosity going around um, from folks on different sides of the aisle who are trying to, you know, score political points or get things done on the back of education. And, and I don't necessarily ascribe to that particular philosophy. And I think when we get elected to these roles, our responsibility is to deliver results for the community. And if you can build on a track record of already having done that, I think that's even better. Uh, and so for me, when you ask, how can we find consensus? You know, look, yeah, I'll be a Democrat um, in the Georgia State House, which right now, you know, they, they talk <laughs> about demographic change and all this stuff. But right now you look at the numbers that is, you know, unless, you know, and we all hope for this, there is a, a massive turn of, of something different. I think that you are going to have to be in a position where you have to be able to converse with other folks who might not necessarily share 100% of your same views, but still be able to forge a consensus to get things done. And that's why I think education is so exciting because this is an area where we can find common ground. And so whether that's on day one, you know, for me, talking with folks who are, you know, running to be the next state superintendent, talking to folks who are involved in our department of education, we're saying, hey, look, where can we find these opportunities to, yes, as Democrats, focus on these results for the kids and improving education where we believe that it's necessary in terms of early literacy, but also make that case to folks on the quote unquote other side of the aisle who want to see economic investments that aren't just looking like they're on the door. They want to see, you know, innovative pilot programs and things like that. Maybe they, there's just not the infrastructure or the framework to talk about that. So can we design a platform? Can we design a policy that is innovative, that builds on best practices, data-driven solutions from across the country that has the input of parents and teachers and then roll that out and say, look, this is an early literacy, call it pilot program, call it challenge grant, call it whatever you want that is tied to continuing education, that is tied to results on the ground, but that is administered and that is funded for as a supplement, as a complement to what is kind of the base funding that we need to be providing to our public school systems through QBE. You know, that to me is a day one opportunity where I think we can get folks who say they care about education, who say they want to help the kids. And let's, you know, let's put our money where our mouth is to a certain extent. And I think on day one, that's something that I'm going to be pretty excited about talking to everybody and anybody uh, to, to forge that coalition. Because I think you see a lot of this stuff right now, right? There's, we call them chilling effects from some of these bills that are coming through the state house. You know, I don't know that, that these are well thought out educational policies necessarily. There might be short term solutions to try and solve something in the moment for some of these folks. But I don't know that that's in the best interest of our kids, of our parents, of our schools at the end of the day. So let's actually focus on funding the things that are going to create results, not just create talking points for folks to kind of get up on their podium and, and use it to posture. That's right. That's right. Um, I can't argue with anything you said there, JT. That is really core to, in, in the way you say I'm going to say it differently, right? And I'm going to mm. sum it up. And it's something I've said before. The whole podcast, Edge the Edges, is around closing the ideological divide. And it's my meager, simple man's attempt as just an American to say, look, I want a framework in place where we can lean into discomfort and have conversations where we try to close the divide. Okay. But it's just, as you said, we, we need to try and sell a framework, sell the sizzle of the concept to those on the opposite side of the divide where it says, look, you know, you've got enough intelligence and action to know that an investment in our kids and our future will benefit both of us 
it can't always be about cutting. Oh yeah. It can't always be about, I hate taxes. I am not a fan. I don't think anybody loves paying more in taxes, right? I mean, I I don't think that's something anybody wakes up on a Tuesday and is like, gosh. Oh, let me go pay my taxes. I watch Warren Buffett on CNBC and when he says that, I'm like, "Mm, the luxury. I appreciate his (laughs) statement, but he's got a lot to give, right? Right, right. You know, I've got more than most. I I live in a, you know, middle class, some would say maybe upward. Um, I've been told that. I don't think so. You know, like I said, I'm just a regular guy living in Suwannee, but I know I don't own that street out there. Mm-hmm. Someone takes care of it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's my tax dollars at work. I think, and I've had conversations before, I've had a lot of conservative friends. I mean, the Obama election was fairly interesting. The Trump election was just awful. Yeah. I had to have to say mm-hmm. that. But I, I love my friends on the other side of the divide. Absolutely. And I've always been open to saying once upon a time, way back, I've maybe voted a time or two on that side. But it's what you said, JT. It's the conversation, mm-hmm. being able to have a dialogue. We have to be able to step into the crucible of conflict and come out the other side with something positive. Absolutely. We listen too often to politicians, and I'm not a fan of politicians, mm-hmm. and thankfully you don't sound like one. I like states people, <laughs> states, yeah. stateswomen, people who aspire to do the thing because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. Not because you want to get rich off the backs of the office. It's a fascinating mm-hmm. thing to see folks go from marginal to poor, come go in the office and come out quite wealthy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Although, and I got a, I just, a, a fun plug. You, we're certainly not doing this for the money, right? This, yeah, exactly. The state, the state exactly. house, and at again, least particularly in this race, is not yeah, I was just getting ready to say, education <laughs> is fundamental because if some people know how much you make when you do right. this, you go, oh, <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah really I know there was just an article in the AJC job. about, I guess that the number's going up a little bit, but you know, for, for the longest time, it has continued to be around $17,000 a year, I think, because it's a part-time yes. job. You get like 173 bucks or something a day for per diem. I will tell all, you and I will tell all of our listeners right now, this is not a job that you get into because you want the salary of the office, right? I mean, I That's think right. if we're here, we're having those conversations because we care about the community um, and we care about delivering results for this next generation. Um, and I just want to quickly go back to something you said, I completely agree, right? I think it's, can we make the argument that, hey, this community investment, your tax dollars, whatever you want to call it, but this thing that you are paying for, is that truly going to be effective? Because I think at the end of the day, if we can make that case to our neighbors, to our, to our friends, to our fellow citizens, of yeah, if it's effective, of course, they're going to say, yes, this is this is part of my civic duty. I mean, it was a Republican, right? Oliver Wendell Holmes, I'm pretty sure, who was Taxes are the price we pay for a civilized society. The question then is, you know, how much of that? And and can we be sure that that is being an effective use of, of our hard work, our hard-earned money and our, our tax dollars so that we can be proud at the end of the day of what that accomplishment uh, is producing? And I think that that is our burden, right? As, as citizens, as legislators, potentially, um, to make that case and say to our neighbors, this is why we think this is a good idea. Absolutely. It's like you said, data-driven approaches, right? After we get into it, once we agree upon it, we look at the spin, we track it as it goes, your job, and then coming out the other side as a citizen, I want to be able to go to someplace and look at it mm-hmm. and see the results. The more we do that, the more we can hold you guys accountable because I'm Absolutely. a firm believer in every time you run, you have to earn my vote. You know, oh, yeah. a slide. No. You know, it's not because I'm a registered Democrat that I'm just going to vote Democrat no matter how often people like to say that. It's true for some. 
I know a senior director at a, at a firm that shall not be named that really <laughs> pissed a lot of people off, but he was one of those kind of, he was a gregarious, fun-loving black guy, but he also was the kind that you might be afraid to say something sideways to because mm. he might smack you in the next week. And this was an, an IT executive. It was a very funny combination. And he loved curse words. He'd say things out loud all the time. And he would say <laughs> things in the middle of mixed company of ethnicities. Well, yeah, I voted for Barack Obama. He black, ain't he? And so, you know, and we would turn around and we're like, wow, he just said that out loud in front of a room of 100 people. There's a senior <laughs> vice president, there's a president, and there's a CEO. And they're just looking at him like, okay. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> on the background, and, you know, he and I went to lunch several times. And I'm like, man, can you not do that? <laughs> and he said, what? Is the truth there? We deserve a shot. I said, yes, but, and it's, a, it's unfortunate you have to do this, but you got to justify. Mm. Barack Obama doesn't deserve your vote because he's black. That makes no sense. Mm. You know, we, and we don't have the luxury of sharing that message. I say mm -hmm. that because JT, the, you, you seem to talk the right talk and I want to see you walk it. And if Absolutely. you walk it after you win, when it comes up again, may have you've earned my vote again. Mm -hmm. I voted for Barack Obama and I was fond of telling people, I didn't think that, that he might be the right guy. That was a great, uh, speech he gave as a senator mm -hmm. and I was like okay and he's a handsome looking guy yeah I know the women think he's hot so I don't <laughs> care this thing I can get my vote for that shit right sure. no. right well truth's in the pudding right like yeah, yeah. I mean, what but are you delivering this book and right. I read it and I was like well that's a great book still doesn't get my vote he wrote another book I read that one and went well that's still good Mm -hmm. no, 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 no. then he put his website and I looked at his platform and I went well wait a minute some of these concepts have been repeated three times in material that I've read going back mm -hmm. to what you said JT mm -hmm. fundamental. I read all his material and at there that point he started to talk it it mirrored what was on his website and right. I said to myself I said self I think <laughs> these are the things he's going to try to do yes right. and I can vote for that absolutely he earned my vote and it's, it's about that message and it's that consistency in message, right? And I think, you know, to everybody listening here today and especially to UDS, right? Keep, keep me honest. Keep us honest. Like, I, you know, we are coming in here. We want to run on a platform that is inspired by the values that, you know, my mom and dad instilled in me growing up, right? Opportunity, community, progress. And then we are going to get out there and defend the American dream. And yes, you on our website. We have all these different buckets, right? Investing uh, in education, you know, fighting for healthcare, uh, you know, strengthening our economy, protecting our future. But, but all of these things, to your point, right, if we don't back that up with action, once we get into the seat, or at the very least, if we don't back that up by calling attention to these issues and advocating in a way that is meaningful to try and drive change. However, you know, again, maybe this is a bad word in, in politics right now, but however incremental sometimes that might have to be, because at the end of the day, we are Democrats in, a, in, in Georgia, where, um, you know, this state is still Nevertheless, I think uh, very much influenced by, by a particular side of the aisle that might not be ours. Um, you know, we need to fight for change where we can get it. And we need to celebrate those wins and celebrate those victories while continuing to not rest on our laurels, but to advance that conversation. Right. And so for me, that's why I'm excited about this. You know, it's a great opportunity, I think, for our generation um, and our community um, to, to build on the legacy of the giants that came before us, but also to continue that fight to make that Georgia that really is working for all of us. And so in education, in healthcare, in the economy, you know, hold us accountable, make sure that we're doing the things that we're out here talking about. And 
to the extent that you can help us inject a little bit more of that grace and that civility into the conversation, right? Because I think at the end of the day, we need to elevate this public discourse and we can't do that unilaterally. We've seen what happens when folks do stuff unilaterally down at the Capitol. Now I'm talking, you know, Gwinnett redistricting and things like that. And some of these, uh, you know, kind of crazy moves to, to move election dates without consent and things like that. I mean, that is not a way to make your community feel like they're being listened to. It is not a way to drive home the fact that every voice matters and that everybody should have, you know, the, the power of suffrage. I, I think we need to be better. We need to show a better example for our neighbors, for our citizens and for our, our next generation. And we need to live that every day. Absolutely. Now you just hit a third rail. And of course we wouldn't be a good podcast if we didn't go ahead and touch that third rail. Let's do it. Rip it hard. Right. So right now in, in, in our state, for those that don't know, um, especially here in Gwinnett County, which again, the this year especially the upcoming elections will go straight through georgia and for those of us that live here in gwinnett county we think we're fairly certain we know it's going to go straight through gwinnett county Mm -hmm. so politics at play the 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 thing is always it's about a game of thrones unfortunately right and i live in suwanee and right now there's a, a a woman named bonnie rich who after all of the conversation and and back and forth and the, the following of policy and rule in order to determine how things should look locally for us, she wrote a design, a new map and presented that to the uh, assembly. So what that looks like, and of course, I just want your take on the whole process and, and how it came about and you know what your perspective is, JT, in a county, in a county where over time it evolved into a commission that's led by Asians and black folk exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, those are just facts. That's, that's, what, right. that's the yeah. way that is. That's a delegation yeah. to the state that's led by an Asian man. Um, and it's just as diverse as you can imagine. I've been fond of telling people that Gwinnett County as an example to me represents what could be best in the United States, if we mm. get it right. Mm. Every ethnicity seems to be represented in this county in multiplicity. Mm. And we strive to work together to get things done. Now, all of a sudden, as we rise to eminence, it's a problem. There's a trust issue. Mm. And if we can just say it plainly, it looks like Monty Rich has carved out where I live. I'm looking around where I live, a white a white district. It's a white district. <laughs> that is what it looks like mm-hmm. to me as a man of color. And of course, I, I can't, I can't countenance how it came to be. It was sad. It's it's yeah. it's horrible. And you know, you're vying, you're pushing, you're fighting to get right. into that fight. I do not envy you, my young friend. <laughs> um, but your take on the whole thing, JT, from beginning yeah. to end, soup to nuts, and what I will- in the world. <laughs> this is one of the things that gets me particularly riled up. So I will do my best to keep those emotions in check here. You know, I think, first of all, the whole way that this has played out, I think is so antithetical to what our friends on sometimes the other side of the aisle say that they care about, which is local control, home rule, respect for process, right? Small, less government intervention when it comes to yeah. local affairs. You know, just to, again, take a step back for a little bit of background for our viewers. 
basically what happened was, you know, every 10 years we have to redraw boundaries because of, of redistricting and the census. We take the population and then we carve everything back up. And, you know, gerrymandering has definitely been a thing that has happened in the past and continues to happen throughout the country. And that can be a whole separate conversation where right. politicians are choosing their voters and not the other way around. In this particular instance, as you mentioned, the Gwinnett County Democrat or the Gwinnett County uh, Board of Commissioners is now entirely Democratic uh, for the first time in, in many, many years. Um, but it was, you know, these people were elected based on the maps that were drawn 10 years ago when the commission was not that. And so I think this is, you know, representing a natural growth, a natural extension of, of how our county has continued to develop and, and progress and change. Um, and to your point, you know, now we're a county of a million plus people, right? We're one of the most diverse counties, certainly in Georgia, probably in the South, uh, and definitely, I think, in the entire country. And we're growing very, very quickly. So to your point, this is, I think, the microcosm of what we can expect and what we hope America will be um, kind of moving moving into the future. And we can be kind of that beacon of what the new South, what the new Georgia, what America looks like. But you know, because of that, these maps uh, have now been shown that they have been favorable to this current commission. Um, and the commission, to their great credit, currently ran a very transparent process together with the legislative delegation, together with the community where they solicited input over months. You know, I, um, again, as, as a library board of trustees member, I was appointed by, the by a member of the commission uh, and have maintained great dialogue with, with all of the members throughout all of this process. And so being able to attend those town halls and provide feedback, you know, I remember going and they saw it, had all the different maps that they were thinking about. And they said, what is most important to you? Is it protecting, you know, keeping cities together, not splitting precincts, you know, keeping communities interest together, all of these things. And, and there was a tremendous amount of citizen input and citizen feedback from our neighbors and from the community. And they produced these maps that were unanimously approved by the board of commissioners that were approved by a supermajority of the Gwinnett County Dele legislative delegate that we're not all that different from the maps that we currently have because at the end of the day folks want said basically look we are comfortable with the way that things uh, currently look we don't feel like they are splitting our cities unnecessarily they don't feel like there's a tremendous amount of change that needs to go about these maps were good enough 10 years ago for the folks who were you know republicans who drew this on the commission before we think that they're good enough now and that was the map that was approved. It was put on the local calendar down at the House of Representatives. And according to custom and process and precedent in the legislature, um, you know, yes, county decisions are kind of approved by the Georgia state legislature. That is just what happens. And historically, they've just been put on a consent agenda. And as long as they have the majority, you know, support of the legislative delegation, they get approved because it's local control. It's home rule. And the thought is these are the people who are closest to the issue. If they all come to agreement on the issue, then who are we as the state of Georgia, right? To stand in the way. Right. It didn't happen this time. So they actually targeted Gwinnett. They pulled the Gwinnett bills out of the local consent agenda, sent them to a, another committee that was not the traditional committee that had delegation over these issues, um, and then swapped them out some would say under the cover of darkness, it was probably dark in the morning, but it was still, yeah. you know, there was not a tremendous amount of, of, of transparency shown in the process. Um, the committee basically approved it. it, was controlled by Republicans who don't live in Gwinnett County. Um, they said, yep, sure, this other map that was drawn up over a weekend uh, seems like the right thing to do, instead of the map that was painstakingly crafted through months and months of public process, substituted it, sent it back, um, and it was approved by, by the Georgia legislature, right? And again, this is a map that, to your point, carved up districts, I think, in a very interesting way. Now, you know, folks are going to say, oh, yeah, they, these also had kept communities together, kept communities of, of interest together. And but, you know, when when you keep communities of interest together, you can do that in, in a number of different ways. And as you pointed out, 
the map that they currently have is going to create one district that will likely um, not elect the same commissioner that has been representing that district for a period of time. It's moved my district um, into a completely different commissioner, right? And it has removed the voice of three of the four cities in my district um, from getting a chance to vote for their commissioner again until 2024. So there will be three cities in my district who will not have been had a chance to vote for their commissioner for six years. Yeah. Um, and I happen to like my new commissioner who's going to be, be representing me, right? I like my old commissioner too, Ben Koo, new commissioner, Kirk Cardin, great guy. But at the end of the day, I mean, to not have a voice in who your elected representative is going to be for six years when these are four-year terms and to have that caused by a unilateral redrawing of a map by basically one person, um, and then swapping that in and out and approved by voters or by folks who don't even represent Gwinnett, I think to me is, is an insult to the process. I think it, it definitely reeks of, of mistrust. And I just, you know, it's not a great way to start off this next decade. Um, so again, I, I personally like to always try to find the good in folks uh, and to assume the best in, in given situations. But in this particular one, I'm having a hard time because there has been I think just complete unilateral and reckless disregard for the will of the voters here in Gwinnett, for the will of our legislative delegation, um, and, and frankly, for what the citizens of Gwinnett have actually voted for in electing the board of commissioners that we currently have and in participating in that process that created a, a map that was approved unanimously um, and sent to the state house only to be rejected um, under the cover of darkness. Very, very ugly. And I hope the listeners take the time to deconstruct the words that JT just shared. I mean, dive under the covers of the things that he said. And thanks JT for sharing that. You said it in such a professional manner. So I'll give you a point. You, you didn't want to go <laughs> off, off, you know, off the rails. You didn't, you did just fine. Thank you. I appreciate that. We know you could, we know you could. <laughs> and it's, it's a frustrating thing, but unfortunately it's also quite honestly par for the course. I want folks to listen and understand again, this is about gaining knowledge, understanding in order to help close the ideological divide. There are a certain number of people in this county who feel threatened, who feel fearful. And this, this fear is something that's just been dredged up by a small number of people for one specific purpose. It's the preservation of power. So I want folks to really understand it. And if you're having conversations with your friends who tend to always wanna say, I'm conservative, I wear it on my label, then I would always ask you to be thinking with the hallmark of the critical thinker. That means internalize the perspective of others, most especially when that perspective is diamet diametrically or violently opposed to your own. You know, think on that, look on that, and then try and have a cogent conversation around, well, don't we both want this thing? Because it goes right. back to something JT said a while ago, right? It's the framework for the conversation where we can close the divide. So many people have been poisoned that the leaders who started this journey, to be quite honest, following behind Donald Trump, now it's like the beast is so big, it's hard to get the beast back into the cage. And they don't want to lose their groundswell. They don't want to mm -hmm. lose their grassy roots. They don't want to lose their base and they don't want to lose power. What's happening in this county is about the preservation of power. Mm -hmm. I'm a white person who has been very comfortable with my leadership but I've seen it erode and I haven't decided to move to Forsyth. Oh, by the way, I moved to Forsyth. I turned around. Wow. Just as fast as I moved a few years ago, it's starting <laughs> to look different around here. Well, you know what that's telling you? There's no place to go. Stick around. We're not that bad. 
<laughs> you know? Well, and, and to your point, right? Like, let's 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 make change in the community where we are. And I think that was, you know, that's what happened with this current commission is we, you know, they they put in the work on the ground. They convinced folks that their message was correct. And then the voters responded to that, right? I think, and to your point, something you said too, this isn't just isolated to Gwinnett, right? They're doing this in Cobb County. This is happening in athens Clark County. There's, there's a certain element at play where um, I, I think the temptation that many folks may be giving into is to say to heck with it, right? Throw the baby out with the bathwater, forget democratic norms and processes, then the way that we've been doing this for X number of years, we want the win now. And my question is, you know, one, is it worth this short term potential victory, right? Because demographic change is still happening. Like this is definitely still going to be an issue over the next couple of years. I mean, people are just gonna, there's nowhere else to move, but into that Northern <laughs> district that you're talking about, right? So, I mean, this will, this will continue to change. And so is that worth a, a four or five year maybe victory at best? to erode all of these democratic norms, all of these processes, all of these principles that we have used as an underpinning for our processes over the last, you know, however many years for this short-term kind of victory. And, you know, again, to me, I don't want to impugn the motives of, of anybody that, that we're talking about here, right? I don't, I don't believe that our neighbors are, are evil or anything like right. that. And I think that that is an important distinction that we need to continue to make in politics, particularly at this time when things can get so contentious and so acrimonious. But I do question, you know, the wisdom of some of these policies and the ways in which we're choosing to go about this and conducting ourselves. And again, I'll bring it back, particularly as an example for our next generation, right? Is this the legacy that we want to leave to our kids when we say that, hey, if you don't like the way that something's going, you can just take your ball, go home, rewrite the rules um, and, and expect the other side to just kind of take that line down? Because at the end of the day, we know power flips, power flip flops, right? Not just nationally, not just federally, but here at the state level too. And so if the shoe's on the other foot, are our friends and colleagues on the other side of the aisle telling us that they also don't believe that local control and home rule really matters when push comes to shove? Because I don't think that's the message that folks really want to get across at the end of the day. And I don't think that's what they want if they're being honest with themselves. Totally agree. Totally agree. It does us no good to erode the norms that established the stability within our culture. Yep. It, 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 it drives us towards that fictional dystopian future where we're too dumb to do the right thing for ourselves because we've invested in nothing, no matter mm -hmm. what side you're on. It was all about winning. You, you, it's, and it's funny to hear a politician, not a statesman, say, you know, um, we've got to lean in. You know, we've got to, go, you know, we've got to have compromise. But compromise really means it's my way, not yours. <laughs> right. And I'm just going to win, and you have to die. For those that don't know, I think I've said it on this show before. Again, great things come out of Georgia as well as ugly things. And we have former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, to blame for all this nonsense. You guys go track it back in history. He started this scorched earth garbage and he leveraged television to get it done. And he learned from his mentor and he just magnified it. Well, here we are decades later and the whole country on one side plays this game. It's mm -hmm. horrible. It's like JT said, I'm gonna take my ball and go, I'm gonna let the country default. If you don't do this my way, I'm right. going to put our bond rating at like, Come risk. on, y'all, really? <laughs> exactly, exactly. We've got to be able to have better conversations. And I know far progressives, far in progressives, they, they listen to that, they hear it, and it's like anathema to them. They can't take it, they can't stand it. Mm. But it's what has to happen. You cannot go around calling your neighbor evil. Someone has to hold the higher stick. But mm. while there are, and, and I say stick on purpose because it has to look like a good strong stick that mm. you know it may elicit a little bit of fear, but that's not what it's about. They see the smile on your face, so they understand. Look, I'm strong and I carry a big stick, 
It's right. just a matter of how I use it. And I don't want to use it to harm you. I want to make sure I'm wielding it to protect both of us. Can Absolutely. we have that conversation? Because yeah. you don't want to get up in the morning like I have a couple of weeks out of the last month. And you go down the way to go get your morning coffee. And because someone has been so inundated and nonsense, JT, the truck has this big old flag waving in the back. One is the American flag, mm. which we know for a lot of people, this, 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 this surge of nationalism scares them. Mm. I'm not scared by that. I think the American flag is steeped in history. My, my grandfather's blood is in it. You know, mm -hmm. families in it. I, I get that. Um, respect. But he also has this other flag. And the flag says, fuck Biden. It's Oof. big. It's waving. Oof. It's going down Lawrenceville, Sewanee. And I'm looking at Oof. it and I'm like, to your point, is that what you want our kids to learn? I mean, it's right. When you look in the history book, you say, hey, this was granddaddy's truck. Right? Exactly. Like, is that? Hmm. Really? Right. And how's that going to make your daughter feel, you know, the, the one who wants to marry the black guy? Mm -hmm. You know, because, mm -hmm. um, well, it's happening. Absolutely. Well, and I think you and I think you, you mentioned something really great there that I want to tie back to what we started talking about. Right. Which is recognizing our history. Right. And that this issue is not happening in a vacuum like Gwinnett County is being carved up right now that this is not like this is not just something that somebody woke up one day and was like, oh, like this is something we should do. Right. This is because of the history. I think it's it's you know, when I was growing up here, this was Newt Gingrich, Tom Price, Rob Woodall territory. Right. I mean, this was a very Republican stronghold and it is not that today. Um, and I certainly do think that that might be, you know, driving some of these conversations that we're having, again, not out of evil, not out of animosity, you know, that sort of any sort of like moral turpitude or anything like that. This is just purely we want to continue keeping things the way they are That's as right. long as we can for a certain element uh, of the population. And again, I can understand that and I can empathize with that, but this is not the way to do it. Um, this process has not been correct. And, and I think it is setting really, really scary precedents um, for what we as legislators and we as citizens can expect going forward um, when an absolute minority of a delegation like this um, has the opportunity to basically just say, mm, no, forget democratic norms and processes and just let, throw it out. We're doing things our way. No, no question, no debate. You know, and I think that also goes back to some of the, we have to understand our history and we have to understand what happened in the past so we can learn from it and we can move forward and we can be better from it, right? We can't be running away, hiding from this stuff, shifting it under the rug. We need to be able to talk about it, not just here in the political sphere, but in the truly historical, Georgia is a great place, but Georgia also did, you know, things in our past that we need to acknowledge. And we have to tell our kids about that so that they can know not to do that again in the future, right? And so that they know what we went through so we could overcome it. Yeah, a little bit of, critical racial history acknowledgement or yeah, something absolutely. like that. Maybe a CRA as opposed absolutely. to a CRT since folks feel funny <laughs> about it. But I mean, look way, right in the cornerstone speech is a thing that happened, right? Like there's not, there's no getting around that. So. There's no getting around it. It's so funny. I'm working on another project and you, you mentioned that the cornerstone speech is sitting right over there. I've got some notes drawn on it, but to your point, it's fascinating. Um, I think you could walk down the street by the super Walmart and ask 50 people, what the cornerstone speech is and it would be a miracle if you've got one through five to mm. say i know exactly what that is to your point history is important you got to understand who we were where we were why we were in order to understand where we are now and where we want to go and Absolutely. with that jt i thank you for making that part of your platform but as we round things out here i want to make sure i give you the opportunity to highlight whatever it is you want to make sure you put out there what are the critical points from everything that we've discussed, what you're thinking, what you want 
for the folks in your district. Hit us with it. Yeah. Number one, I'm excited to be out here talking to our neighbors, right? Look, I grew up here. I grew up in Duluth. My mom and dad still live in the same house that I grew up in, in Duluth. Um, I live in Norcross now, you know, right next to Peachtree Corners. Been to Berkeley Lake, you know, gosh, more times than I can count here over the last couple of months. I am just so excited. And every single day that I get out there and talk to our friends and our neighbors um, and, and voters, right, in the Democratic primary and, and otherwise, I'm inspired. And I have a tremendous hope for the future, right? We can talk about all of this contention and things that are going down at the legislature. But at the end of the day, this is about introducing policies and ideas and results into this conversation that we can all be proud of and that are going to deliver results for our next generation. So if I was going to leave a message, I mean, that's why we're in this, right? We have a tremendous opportunity here to basically put our stake in the ground and say, these are the things that we care about as a community. This is what we want to get behind. We want to get behind real investments in education that make a difference, that embrace innovation, that don't run away from it. We want to get behind expanding healthcare access for our neighbors, making sure that the 600,000 Georgians here that don't have quality and affordable healthcare access are going to get that. And we want to give them treatment options so that, you know, we saw an article the other day that was there are over 100,000 opiate deaths in this country in the last year alone, right? I mean, it's these are things that are happening, and we have an obligation, I think, to our citizens and to our neighbors and to our friends um, to make sure that we're giving them the care and the treatment and the respect that they deserve. You know, we need folks who understand the private sector. You know, I spent some time um, in, in both the nonprofit and the public spheres, as well as in the private sector. We need folks who understand how during this pandemic, we can come alongside our small businesses and our entrepreneurs to incentivize them um, and get them, you know, investing in living wages, embracing innovation, forging the, the R&D developments and climate friendly solutions of tomorrow right here in our district, right here in Gwinnett County. We can be the hub of all of this innovation and all of this exciting change, we just have to want it, right? And we just have to have a federal, or I'm sorry, a state level government that is gonna work with the federal government in order to make that happen uh, and deliver results here to our district. And then finally, you know, we need to stand up against discrimination, right? I mean, as you've pointed out, we need to stand up against these injustices. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can uh, to be voices, not just for, you know, uh, communities that look like us, you know, our API, our Latin American, our, our you know, African-American brothers and sisters, the Hispanic community, but, our state's dreamers, right? For every single voice here in Gwinnett County who maybe feels underrepresented um, and feels like they don't, don't have a voice, we need to be that voice and we need to defend every Georgian's you know, constitutional rights you know, to vote, reproductive rights and, and otherwise. And so at the end of the day, look, that's a laundry list of stuff. You can see it on the website, but look, for me, all of that ties back into one thing that I keep driving home, right? What are we leaving for our next generation? And, and that's why I'm running. You know, This is a campaign that's gonna be building on a proven track record that we've got with local leaders, um, with, with you know, local officials, um, and with actually delivering results that have impacted our kids today, right? Helping them learn to read, helping open these community spaces, um, and making sure that we can translate that into action in the Gold Dome, not just talking points, not just rhetoric, not just using the bully pulpit to, to get a couple of retweets um, and, and kind of mentions here and there, but actually forging solutions, putting in the work from a policy perspective, and making common ground that's what we're here for. We have the opportunity to raise the level of public debate here uh, in our in our state, in our county, to kind of riff off of a Sorkin quote, right? And I think we can do that. Um, and so we'd be honored, obviously, to talk to any of your listeners who want to reach out. We've got time. You can schedule one-on-one -on -one meetings with me on our website directly. I'm big on transparency. There's nothing on the website that isn't already somewhere else on the internet, probably. There's nothing private in this day and age anymore. And so I'm an open book. If anybody has any questions, if anybody wants to chat, if anybody sees something in the platform that they think, hey, you know, Maybe we think about doing it this way, or let's have a conversation about this. I have my you know, beliefs on what the best thing is, but 
I'm not so arrogant as to think that I'm the smartest person in the room come hell or high water and I can't make any changes to the way that I'm thinking about things. This is meant to be a conversation and I'm meant to, you know, I'm here to be the representative for our district, not some all seeing, you know, dictator from the top. So anything that we can do to facilitate that conversation, know that I'm here, know that I'm excited about this uh, and know that, you know, at the end of the day, we're here to work for you. Outstanding. The hallmark of a critical thinker, consider the perspectives, it ain't all you. You're open to hearing other ideas. That is outstanding. JT, uh, just to make sure we get it out there, of where course. can folks go and find you? Yeah. So you can follow us on social media at JTWU, JTWU for Georgia. That's the word spelled out. So I'll spell it all out. JTWU. Oh my gosh. Try that again. <laughs> Need more coffee this morning. J-T-W-U-F-O-R-G-E-O-R-G-I-A. And so that's all of our handles on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also go to our website, www.jtwuforgeorgia.com. Uh, you can see everything there the bio stuff, the issue stuff, voting resources. You can even look at the map. I know our districts have been redrawn and stuff. So you can put in your address, make sure that, you know, you live in my district or if you live in another district, let me know. Happy to get you in touch with those folks too. Um, you can see everything there. And again, see us out and about, reach out to us. You can send me an email at jt at jtwooforgeorgia.com. Uh, and actually we, we just got this set up, but you can also text join the word join, J-O-I-N to 877-324-324. 4410 and you will uh, be subscribed to our mailing list and we'll reach out and circle back with you one-on-one. The Democratic primary is on May 24th, but early voting starts May 2nd. So we'd be honored to obviously earn your vote um, and we'll be out there hopefully knocking on your door pretty soon. Outstanding. Great conversation, JT. Thank you for taking the time to etch the edges with us today. Thank you, DS. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one, brother. You too. Reading is fundamental. <laughs> Let's say that again for good measure. Reading is fundamental, right? Education is core to building our future. Powerful and necessary areas of focus for all of us, to be sure. Thank you for your message, JT, and thank you for taking the time to etch the edges with us today. And if you live in Georgia, remember, election day is May 24th and early voting starts May 2nd. Let's be responsible to ourselves. Let's do our duty and exercise the franchise and give thanks that we actually can. And of course, we have to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. So please like and subscribe. Tell your family, tell your friends. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Etch the Edges. And don't forget to visit our website at EtchTheEdges.com. Check us out. Join the movement. Express your commitment to the cause. The cause for a better America, a better world, where we all can stand together at the mountaintop. Do it for America. Indeed. Do it for a better world. Be good to yourselves and each other. We'll see you next time.